Hello, I'm Jamie from Stonemeyer Games, and I'm joined today again by some special guests to talk about games with alliances, trading, and negotiation. I'm excited to talk about this topic. This isn't the style of game that I play all that often, but uh, when I do play it, I really enjoy it. So I'm excited to hear the thoughts of Tonka, George, and maybe Richard, if Richard joins in. We're expecting maybe one other person to pop in here today. Um, so why don't we start by uh, by going, we'll go Tonka and then George and then me share um, who you are, introduction, and why you were excited about this topic today. Tonka, we'll start with you. Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Tonka. I'm from Holland. I'm a, I'm a teacher here, uh, high school teacher. I'm 31 years old. And uh, I'm excited about this topic because uh, over the years, my, my friends have been playing, um, and I have been playing more and more heavier games. We, we played Catan for years. Uh, not unlike you, Jamie, I think you played, what was the game you played for years and you're on? Um, yeah. And um, we've been gradually building up to somewhat heavier games. And we're finding that the games that inside a bunch of table talk and negotiation and trading uh, is very exciting to us uh, because it makes the, the game night very social. So that's why I'm excited to talk about those kind of games. Awesome. Uh, George, what about you? Yeah, uh, first of all, thank you for, for having me. Uh, so I'm George, uh, I'm a Stonemaier ambassador among uh, my day job of being a software engineer. Uh, I'm based in Bucharest in Romania and um, I quite enjoy playing a lot of negotiation games in general or yeah, this type of um, alliances where you build up alliances and uh, um, do all kind of uh, negotiations among players, uh, like player interaction based on negotiations. I really like the the type and the genre, uh, and I think um, there aren't so many games uh, having this uh, this topic nowadays. So there are some old games and some new ones coming along, but uh, it's quite a niche, let's say. I would say. I agree. Well, yeah. Welcome, George. Thank you for joining us. And Tonka, I, I'm excited about this conversation. And I, I, this was a list that I struggled with a little bit, not because I don't like this style of game, but because I don't play that much, that many games of this style. I play a lot of dry Euro games now. Uh, oftentimes they have some player interaction, but it rarely leads to negotiation. So it was fun to think about these types of games that where there are those types of discussions are with the players at the table as to what, what I want, what you want. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to hear your thoughts on this today. Why don't we jump in and start out with our honorable mentions. Just briefly mention, um, don't go into detail, but briefly mention your honorable mentions if you have any to talk about. Tonka, we'll go with you first. Yeah, sure. Well, my first honorable mention game is a game of yours. Um, and I'll just hold up the, the big box for a moment. It's Scythe. Uh -huh. uh, and the interesting thing about Scythe for, for my group and I is that this is the game that got us out of our Qatar uh, um, era. Um, and um, we love it. We've played it a ton for, a, for like a year or two. And the interesting thing about Scythe that it's, in theory, it's a game that allows for negotiation and trading. In theory, yeah. <laughs> in theory. Uh, but what we found is that the optimization puzzle is so intense and you're and you're so busy with looking at uh, okay what are the moves that i have to make to make this work for me that we don't get to go to the negotiation part all that much uh but the idea that it was possible and it could happen 
uh, made us interested in exploring that um, kind of game further. So even though Scythe doesn't really does it, uh, doesn't really do it, uh, the idea of optimization of negotiation is in there. Um, should I go with on with the other uh, honorable mentions or? Yeah, do your do all your honorable mentions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, then we have Shark and Acquire, and those are two older uh, shared control games. Um, my dad bought for the family when I was little, and back then there wasn't really a BGG or a board game community, so I have no idea where I got them from. Uh, but there you you don't play with a color or your own pawns. You share with it's like a shareholder game, and I know there's a bunch more of them. The 18xx genre is full of them, I think. I, I haven't dabbled in that genre, but um, I like those uh, those shared control games too. Mm -hmm. um, I have Pax Premier, which is also a shared control game. But I didn't want to have two games from the same designer in there, so I don't I didn't pick uh, Pax Premier for my three. Uh, the King is Dead, um, Inish. Um, what I really love about Inish is how they, how the way victory and victory conditions work, where you have to help other players to also get a victory condition so you can continue playing, uh, which is really interesting, I think. And finally, Crescent Moon. It's a, it's a game I've only played once so far, but what's really interesting about this game, it's, it's really a five-player only game. Um, and it's been called like uh, a route with, with uh, table talk. Um, so that's an interesting, interesting angle, and you really need other players. Um, you, you really have to symbio symbiosis between other players in order for you to play successfully. So that's really an interesting game too. I've only played it once, but curious uh, to, to play it more times. As we go through our list today, I'm curious to see how many of these games have player counts that require, like specific player games that require specific player counts or three plus. Um, I think it's maybe more difficult in this style of game to have it go down to two, and especially go down to one player. Maybe maybe almost impossible. So we'll keep an eye on that as we talk about the games today. Right. Yeah. George, what are your honorable mentions? Yeah. Uh, so for me, I would start with uh, a bit of mixed feelings, but I would say Monopoly. Mm -hmm. uh, Monopoly, I, I would say it uh, for first. But um, of course, I also enjoy... Uh, I haven't played Monopoly since I was... Uh, a little boy, but uh, uh, nowadays I'm uh, I'm mostly into into root, oath, and maybe some uh, also some lighter ones like mafia if you know it, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, rising sun. I also mention it as uh, my my honorable mention, and of course queen's dilemma. Mm -hmm. uh, not uh, sorry, king's dilemma. Queen, queen will will come. Uh, and one which I truly, let's say, enjoy for a couple of months now is this one here. Let me show you. Moonrakers. Moonrakers, yeah. So this is like a space team board game which mixes perfectly like negotiation and deck building and has like this kind of semi-co-op gameplay experience, which is quite nice. Um, and I would end it, let's say, with TI4, with Twilight Imperium, so mm -hmm. which is, let's say, more on the heavy side. And yeah, I think that's it. Awesome, thank you. I'm typing as we talk here, so I can put this all in the uh, in the notes later on. But yeah, those are great picks. Um, all of your honorable mentions and Monopoly. I didn't put Monopoly on my list, but as a kid, when we played Monopoly, the most fun part for me was trading and negotiating exactly. with other players. I really exactly. enjoyed that. Right. right. I, I even go further to to enjoy more Monopoly nowadays. If you would ask me to play once, 
instead of Catan, let's say. I don't know. It has like <laughs> a, like a, some some feeling. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So my my picks uh, very close to my top three was trading on the Tigris, a really great trading game. Ink and Gold, which isn't really a game of negotiations, but for me, it fits into a category of games where if you want, you can negotiate. You can. It's a game about running into a dungeon and then running out at a certain time, and you can be as vocal about that as you want. Uh, Catan, Sheriff of Nottingham, which I used to love. I just haven't played it in a long time, so I didn't think to put it in my top three. War of Whispers, um, and then two Stillmeyer games. I didn't put Scythe on here as a game. I can see some negotiations happen in Scythe, but for me... Uh, a little bit more table talk and alliance-like interactions happen more often in either Libertalia or Euphoria. Um, Euphoria when you're constructing markets together with other players. So those would be my Stillmeyer picks for this category. But we really don't have any games that go deep into alliances, trading, and negotiation. Well, I'm excited to dive deeper into your top three picks. Tonka, why don't you share your number three game that uses one or more of these categories? Yeah, sure. Um, I tried to come up with a definition to to build my uh, top three. And the thing I came up with was a game with shifting alliances requires its players to manage the relationships to other players in a meaningful way throughout the game. That was my, my definition. Um, and I've constructed my top three. So there's one that has trading in there, uh, one that has shared control, and one that has kingmaking in there. Okay, that's kind of my the construction of my uh, top three. And for my number three, I'm going to go with Catan. Um, and, um, and you've mentioned in videos before, Jamie, that you think that the first position matters a lot and maybe even too much. And that's true. And there is a decent amount of luck in terms of what numbers get rolled. Mm -hmm. um, and there's not even um, that much variety in the kind of interaction that you have with other players. Uh, but uh, trading is a crucial aspect of Catan. And trading is, of course, also a positive player interaction. Um, and apart from trading, there's the robber and there's blocking, uh, cutting off each other's paths. Uh, and you can do trading embargoes, I guess, uh, which is all negative. Um, but my group and I, um, we have built such a tradition of playing Catan together. Um, it remains really fun um, to play. And I think it it changed from being a like full event game to now it being a filler game. We can we can uh, uh, play a full game of Catan in like 40, 45 minutes now. Um, so it, we can play it at the end of the gaming night or at the beginning. Um, and we can play it while having a lot of fun and conversations uh, on top of it. Um, and we even designed our own little uh, drinking game of. of uh, <laughs> A variety of Catan, which I won't go into detail uh, about, but that's the kind of game that Catan can be. Um, not a, like a full, uh, heavy uh, uh, game, but still fun negotiating and when you can really build a meta game with your, with your group if you play it uh, enough. One of the things that I think makes trading work really well in Catan too is that you... It is really difficult for any player to have all of the resources they need to do the things they want to do. I think that's a sign of a great negotiation game where the game kind of gives all players collectively the tools to do things, to build things, but where I have access to certain resources that you don't have as much access to. So you have something I want, you probably have something I want, and vice versa, and yeah, exactly. around the table. Yeah. I, I, I think, think the like the notion of a closed economy or closed resources. Yeah. Like the closed, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's a, a, a great pick. Um, Catan at number three. George, what's your number three? Well, uh, for my number three, um, I don't have the, the cover or two box to, to show, but uh, for me, it's um, Sheriff of Nottingham. It is? Okay, cool. Yeah, I the second edition, actually. I quite enjoy a lot this game, and especially if you that you mentioned in the in our early uh, early video that uh, it's required, let's say, a number a specific of number of players. I think mm -hmm. it's better if you play it with uh, maybe four, uh, because you know with one or two maybe it's not the same experience. So uh, my group and I we typically play it in in four, uh, and uh, and the game is um, uh, you know one player is the sheriff of course and. Um, they everybody takes turns for this role and uh, while the rest try to to sneak goods and pack uh, um, sorry uh, while the rest try to to sneak all their goods into this kind of um, um, envelopes sorry i have a bit mm -hmm. of uh, and then uh, yeah this is done by presenting the envelopes to the sheriff and then declaring what is uh, what it's in the envelope if if it's uh, true or false and so on and um, yeah and you can uh, of course bribe uh, there is bribery and uh, the sheriff can open the envelopes uh, and uh, if the players didn't lie then uh, he pays a penalty and uh, vice versa if players uh, sneak the goods by successfully then they get paid uh, paid the worth and uh, yeah uh, there is bluffing negotiation uh, playing uh, um, the, the the players you know like uh, calling them and try try to make a lot of bluffs a lot of uh, this kind of interaction and so on and um, i i think this is also where where the social skills come a bit uh, in handy you know and uh, you you can try to to take a bit uh, to, to look at one each other's eyes and uh, you know uh, try to bluff or not and uh, this this kind of social interaction games which are very subtle very subtle subtle and mm -hmm. yeah so yeah my my number 3 should be sheriff of nottingham it, like I mentioned, it's been a while since I played it, but as I recall, one of the things that works really well in this game is that almost anything is up for negotiation. Like you said, right. you can bribe, you can put anything you want in the right. in the bag. I think you could even make future things. Like you can say, okay, if you take this one bad thing now, um, exactly. I won't do it to you again in the future. Exactly. Or I'll give you $10 exactly. later. I love exactly. that openness. Exactly. Yeah. And then you can even uh, uh, don't keep that promise. Right. 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 Talk, have you played this one? I have. No, no. Isn't there like a, a social deduction element in there too, in this game? There, there's no hidden, I guess there's a little bit of hidden from it. There's no hidden yeah. roles in the game, mm -hmm. but what you put into the bags is hidden until the moment that someone pops it open. So yeah. uh, I think that's where that comes in to right. Sheriff of Nottingham. Cool. Yeah, this is a great pick, George. Um, yeah, talking yeah. about this makes me want to get it back to the table. Yeah. So that is Sheriff of Nottingham as George's number three. Um, and there's one, oh, I, you know, I should have mentioned sidereal confluence. I'm curious you, if either of you will mention that one later. We'll, we'll, no, you won't. Okay. So that's another, that isn't on my list, but that's another great trading game where uh, you have other things that other people don't have. But at my number three, um, and I'll pull it up on the screen here, is a game that I also haven't played in a long time, but I really love my plays of it, and that is Risk Legacy. Um, I played a lot of Risk when I was young. As an adult, I love the, the Legacy version of Risk, and uh, similar to what Tonka said earlier about that metagame that forms with your group, 
I think in a legacy game, that meta is a lot of fun. Like it's a big part of a legacy game where in like in Risk Legacy, where if, if I am asking you in this one game to not attack me in South America, because I really want South America for this game, um, that your commitment to that, your agreeing to not do that might carry over into how we interact in the next game. So having those negotiations, those alliances um, last uh, more than one session of the game, I think is really, really neat in Risk Legacy. Uh, I think it's possible to play Risk without doing any negotiations. There should be, still be lots of player interaction. I should bring it up on the screen while I'm talking about it. Um, but I think it's the game excels when you have that table talk, when you're when you're trying to convince other players to do something or to to attack you or attack someone else or to leave you alone. Um, I think that's a that's a that's a major selling point and a major fun point of Risk Legacy. Uh, yeah, have either of you played? Did you think of risk for this category or did you think of, have you played risk legacy? Yeah, I actually wanted to mention that uh, I'm at the third game and uh, yeah. my group and I just stopped and then postponed it, took other uh, games to the table and then just forgot about it and time passed. So now it will be a bit strange to retake it because I'm to to continue playing it because it has been like 3 years or something like this and it's not not that that good, but I, I'm, I'm really, I would like to, to do it one, once, yeah, one day. And nice. yeah, sorry, Tonka, you wanted to, to say something, and I just yeah, no, I'm, I would really like to play it too because my favorite kind of campaign or legacy game is a game that already works as the core game itself, and I really like Risk, so I'd be really curious to play the legacy version of it, but I haven't come around to it yet. It's, it's pretty impressive, especially given that it was like the, the first legacy game that Rob Davio worked on or that existed really. And it, yeah. it still has so many neat surprises and innovations that lead to great choices, great uh, great interactions between players. I would right. I'm still looking for the next uh, Fenris, so maybe uh, this is the one. <laughs> and I think yeah. it has some uh, asymmetric factions, right? Which was... It, it does, yeah. 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 Nice. Yeah. So that's risk, risk legacy at my number three. What is your number two, Tonka? Uh, my number two is my shared control game, and I'll hold out the, the box. Um, this is a game called uh, Turncoats. Um, and um, really, Pax Premier could have been here too, uh, but I, I didn't like to have two games from the same designer in my top three. But in addition, there are so many interesting things to say about this game. Uh, because it's designed and handmade by a Swedish designer um, by the name of Milda Matilda. And she's a, she's a dentist, but she makes these ancient-looking cloth games by hand. Um, and you have, you have to, have to like, sign up through a Google, Google form, and it'll, it'll show up uh, at your doorstep a couple of months later. Mm -hmm. um, and it's this little, this little neatly, very cleanly designed, kind of a stripped-down hybrid version of uh, King is dead, uh, and Pax Premier together, kind of, where you have these three three colored marbles, and you have eight of them in your hand, and there's this cloth, right? You can see it on the on the screen over there. Yeah. Uh, the previous the previous photo. And there's this cloth board where you can place uh, a marble on the board, uh, and that um, adds this, to the strength of that color uh, on your on the on the board. But it lessens the strength of the color in your hand, because in the end, the player who has the most marbles of that color, of the color that's the most that's the strongest on the board left in their hand, 
they win. So every time you leave one on the board, your power of that of that color uh, lessens in your hand. So that's a really interesting mechanic, I think. And the first time that I played a game in which you didn't play with your own color, that really kind of blew my mind because games to me were always a game where you were blue or yellow or whatever, and you play with that color. And the, the idea that you have to, have to share control of different factions on the board is just super interesting to me, and it makes for very interesting game states and negotiations and stuff like that. Have you played War of Whispers? I haven't, no. no. It, it, it's a little bit more complex than this, um, but it has that shared control, and exactly as you, you just described there, where you are not a color, you are manipulating these different factions on the board. Um, but you might, you might enjoy that. That's, that's the reason that I really love that game, and it sounds similar to Turncoats. I'll definitely look into it, yeah. War of Whispers, yeah. Yeah. Uh, George, have you played this? I, I I haven't heard of Turncoats before. It looks no, yeah, no, unfortunately not. But you made made me curious, yeah. Yeah, I love the the handmade aspect of it. It reminds me a little bit of Pax Pamir's cloth board. Yeah, yeah, the look yeah. is kind of similar. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, so since we are here, uh -huh. I think you, I already you already give give it up for me. So my number two will be Pax Pamir Second uh, Edition. The good yeah. segue, yeah. Uh, it's a nice uh, also box cover here on the back. So yeah, I, the, let, let me just first ask you: Have you guys played it? I, I'm sure you did, but uh, yeah, like... I love it. Great game. Yeah, mm -hmm. nice. Okay, so yeah, so basically, Pax Pamir is really a, a, a large game, but in a relatively small box. It has also this kind of uh, cloth mapping, which is quite nice. And basically, players are competing for supremacy of the 19th century Afghanistan. And uh, each player is like uh, the leader of a tribe. Uh, and they'll be shifting uh, alliances to, to foreign powers as the game goes. So basically, uh, what, um, what each uh, player should do is not to get emotional or attached to one coalition or one major power in the game. Uh, but instead of uh, thinking uh, about the present and being aware of what's happening uh, around the map and uh, to other players. Uh, this game, I, I would say the negotiation part uh, for it, it's mostly to uh, convince other players from the table to join or support your faction mm -hmm. and work against opponents in, uh, in key moments in time. Um, but yeah, what, what I like about it's also uh, that it's a tableau uh, tableau building game. So and um, typically you have this line of cards, uh, and players uh, only have to act two actions uh, between to to choose and what to do during their turn. And I find it quite a elegant, simple design. But the key aspect of the negotiation here uh, comes in, a, you know, it's again with what I mentioned about the social interaction. So, um, and in, in, gen in general, these negotiation type games, uh, it's, they are not for all players or they are not for everybody. So some, uh, some players, some personalities enjoy this kind of interaction, you know, and uh, enjoy negotiating in general because we do it in our lives daily and everything can be, uh, a negotiation at, at the end uh, but some do not enjoy it so much so it you need to be aware of your group um, but I, I think here uh, the game puts uh, emphasize the negotiation part in, in this key aspect of 
you know, when, when it's more important, when, when is the key to shift the alliance and, uh, um, and maybe turn, turn the game over and into your favor right uh, during the, the very last minutes of the game. And I, I think this is quite nice and it's unpredictable. So completely unpredictable. You cannot plan it. You cannot even, you know, the players can, uh, can be st straight ahead um, on the victory point track. Yeah, they can earn 10 points and the other can have zero points. And at the end, last five minutes, the last player can uh, defeat the first player and uh, win the game. So it's that easy because of this key uh, negotiation aspects uh, where uh, where they can uh, turn up alliances and coalitions in, in favor of, of them. Or they can drop. But that's why it's important not to get attached of one coalition or another one. Of course, uh, regarding the how it's played, uh, I won't get into details because it's a lot of... Uh, uh, the game is a bit meaty and it has a lot of, uh, of rules. But uh, yeah, in general, you take two actions and you, you place cards, you build a, ta a nice tableau and then you take actions and it's action selection and uh, yeah. <clears throat> Tonka, you mentioned this one in your honorable mentions. Yeah, what, what are your thoughts on Pax Premier's uh, alliances trading negotiation aspect? Yeah, it's really interesting what George is saying that basically it's really in, in most negotiation and trading games, it's really hard to come up with a strategy. You really mm -hmm. have to to improvise and and you, and you and you can never predict what's going to happen and, and that's really the case in Pax Premier too you might feel like you're really confident you're going to stay rush out for the entire game and then suddenly you have to shift and that makes the game unpredictable and my, some might not like that but for me it it really ends up with being really interesting and, and and having really interesting board states and that's really something i really really like so i really agree with george and and in in our group uh, actually we try to mix up all kind of strategies for example uh it's uh, pretty funny uh we, we try for example to stick to one coalition or one faction just like to to honor it or something like this and we try to see what what happens to that player so if the player doesn't change the coalition at all so for example they stay afghan the entire game they build up some cards and of course the other players at the table they will uh, they will be focused on them they, uh, because uh, they they will build up a great uh, engine and they will have like gifts and a lot of victory points and everybody at the table they want they want to be against him and actually there are some cases in which the player who sticks to one coalition wins the game but again it's strategy in the middle and uh, you know because he also negotiated with the others to leave him alone and um, yeah like he important key moments in the game which make makes it possible but it's it's nice to to have to have this kind of mini experiments like let's stick to mm -hmm. one coalition or let's let's get uh, let's get rid of the coalition fast like uh, change the coalition five times in one game and see what right. happens or never change it at all and see what's the outcome and compare it and have you played it jamie i've played it only once it's been a while um yeah i, I don't uh yeah i don't remember all that much about it so it's, it's been interesting yeah. to hear you two talk about it I can tell you really love this game, George. Yeah, I think it, it catches me also because of the historical uh, yeah. aspect. Yeah, because you, you learn also history while play playing it. Yeah. It's a bit of a maybe for you, Jamie, it's harder to play these kind of games because you have to play so many new games right. all the time. <laughs> and some of these games, I think, benefit from a repeated play. Yeah. Um, build that meta. And to and to try out those different strategies and board states. So I think it might might be a, a difficult kind of game uh, genre of games for you to 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 get to the table. That I think that is that is true for sure. 
Um, and that actually is a good segue into my number two pick because it's a shorter game. Um, and that is uh, Bonanza. So Bonanza mm-hmm. is a game that, uh, similar to a, a more recent game, Scout, you cannot rearrange your hand. Uh, this is a game with really constraints that lead to interesting trading and negotiations. The constraints being that on your return, you must play the card that's to the farthest to the right of your hand. Usually you could, I think you can order your hand either way, but uh, on, on one specific side of your hand, generally the right side, you must play that card and you may play the next card. So that's constraint number one. The other constraint is that you can only have two piles of cards in front of you. You can expand that during the game, but generally two piles of cards. And so in this example here, if I'm not going after black, black eyed beans, um, if I can't move this black eyed bean card out of my hand through trading and negotiation, then I, I must play it. I must play it. And that might bump one of my more lucrative fields off the table. I have to retire that field and put down this card that I don't really want. And so those two constraints, three constraints that you can't rearrange your hand that you must play one card and that you only have generally two fields then opens the game up to all this trading that you can do it encourages players to actually uh trade cards that they might otherwise want like this is a pretty good card this black eyed bean card but if it doesn't happen to fit into the fields that i'm building up then i might try to get rid of it so i can have this card i think this is a wax bean card so that might be the card that i must play that i can play into maybe a field that i've been growing with a bunch of wax wax uh cards wax bean cards on it so such a clever little game like you said tonka it's it's uh it's hard to get these longer trading cards trading games to the table oftentimes um multiple times but bonanza is a game that i played many many times because it is relatively short compared to some of the other games in this genre have either of you played bonanza i played it once <laughs> so it was once <laughs> yeah 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 and George, have you you haven't played? Uh, I haven't, I haven't, but uh, you you made me curious about playing it, and I definitely heard about it from the from the hobby because it's quite a yeah. big game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it came out. I looked it up here. I think it came out in 1995, so it's been been around for a long time. I, I don't know. Yeah. And is it out? You can find it. I think it's still in print. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Uh, in over Rosenberg game. Yeah, I think it's in print okay. still. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. So that is Bonanza at my number two. We're down to the number one picks. I'm very curious to see what you two picked for this. Tonka, what is your number one favorite game? Yeah, um, I'm going to treat the box art like an encounter from Scythe because uh, you have to enjoy the art. Um, it's Oath uh, by Cole Worley. And um, uh, Worley, the designer of this game, he did a really fascinating talk at, I think, a convention called GDC, I think it's called. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, in which he defended the notion of kingmaking as kind of a thing you can use in your board game design. And um, I think that Oath is a really the most breathtaking example of a game in which kingmaking lies at the core of its design. Like you can't win Oath uh, without other players giving you the chance to do so. Um, so that means that if you play a uh, Oath as a chronicle, it's called in the in the in the game, basically a campaign. Um, you really, really build that meta game that I was talking about earlier as well. Like you remember the, the time that someone uh, messed you over like five games ago, uh, or you become attached to cards or characters in the game. Um, and 
so the shifting alliances between games and and and, and from game, games uh, a couple of uh, plays down, they really stick in your head. And the and the and the really interesting about this one is too that um, there's no flavor text on the cards, nothing at all. Um, but uh, and we were surprised by this too because we're not not necessarily a narrative driven uh, game group. But we still um, noticed that we started building kind of a narrative in our chronicle, and that's something we had we had never experienced before. Um, so that's really cool about it too. There's no flavor text, but still the game creates kind of a narrative uh, through repeated plays. Um, and you can even write them down in a little chronicle book that you get with the game. It seems kind of silly at first, but we ended up doing it anyway because it felt kind of like we were. Like we needed to write something about it because it was kind of a game to remember. Um, at the same time, though, it's kind of a strange and obtuse game. So it, I'm really happy that I have a group that wants to play it over and over again because I think we're we have a really committed group. We played it once a week, and we must have played about sixty or seventy games by now. And it's I don't think it's a game that you can like after the first game at all. Like it's not that kind of game, but if it grows on you, at least it did for for me and my group. So, uh, yeah, Oath is my my number one pick. George, have you played Oath? Uh, only once and only first uh, one game, uh -huh. and because it's it's again difficult with finding a group and then sticking yeah. sticking uh, sticking to play game after game with that that specific group. And of course, you can you can think that the group is fine with it. You can play one game and then somebody from the group decides it's okay, it's not so my cup of tea or something. So it's it's difficult, but uh, it's quite nice that you do you, that you stick it through and you got to play uh, through the chronicle and everything. Yeah, nice. yeah, that's a lot of that's, that's a lot of games of Oath, um, and it's neat to see designer Cole Worley showing up a few times on this list. I I'm I don't know him personally, but it sounds like this must be something he thinks about a lot: how players interact with each other. Right across the table. Yeah, have you read any of his design diaries after uh, Jamie? I read them for Arcs uh, yeah. when, when Arcs was on Kickstarter. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, he, he's he's interesting in in writing about that kind of stuff because he thinks about it a lot about the the yeah. play interaction uh, area of board games. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, that is Oath Tonka's number one, and I like the highlighting king making. That is interesting. You don't often think about that as an asset in games, but I, I can definitely see how an oath and the, the nature of oath continuing from session to session with the same players, how that could be, how that is a really interesting mechanism in the game. And you've played it once, right, Jamie? Played I played it twice. Yeah. Twice. I played it. Yeah. Because um, I, I, I wanted to give it. I know maybe I should have given it more chances, but I wanted to give it two chances at least to have that feeling of persistence after the first game. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't for our group, but uh, but it was a beautiful. It was beautiful on the table. It was interesting to see, and uh, I think my favorite mechanism at the time it was just a small part of it. What the secrets as a resource mm -hmm. I thought was interesting. It was just a little thing, but I kind of like the idea of spending secrets, and it fits thematically well with this game. Yeah. So oh, at number one. George, what is your number one pick? Well, thank you for the number one. I will uh, continue to stick with uh, Cole Worley's designs. <laughs> for me, it will be John Company, second edition. Mm. Right. So, unfortunately, I don't have any of the game because uh, we played for a, from a copy of one friend. 
but maybe yes. You yeah, can. I can pull it up here. Mm -hmm. There's John Company. All right. So I think it's uh, calls masterpiece when it comes to at least complexity and heaviness and mm -hmm. uh, maybe also uh, negotiation. I think I would say it, it's uh, it's right there on top with oath. Uh, in terms of this, so uh, about, a bit about the game. So the, uh, the game it's uh, it's about trade monopoly. So of course the the theme itself it's not great, um, but uh, unlike most economic games, uh, players often do not control their own firms here. Yeah, so instead they collectively guide the company, as it's called in the game. Um, John company uh, by securing positions of power and attempting to steer the company's fate in different ways. Uh, I would mention here that um, uh, if you take a look at the board, for example, or uh, yeah, uh, yeah. The, there are several key points here. So players typically they have like a streamlined uh, um, um, line of actions which they can perform during uh, their turn. Um, this is pretty straightforward, but uh, the, the aspect here is that the negotiation starts right from the, the beginning of the game. So everybody starts uh, having um, uh, dealt some random cards, and these cards represent basically the different uh, di board of directors and uh, chairmans and uh, uh, different key positions in the company. Um, and you start from there, and it's uh, quite uh, similar. Uh, I'm just comparing it uh, roughly uh, as the initial setup here with, for example, Viticulture, right? When you deal up Mama and Papa cards. This is mm -hmm. how you also start here. You deal up the director's cards and the, the chairman and so on. And everybody decides, okay, I'm the head of this department or uh, the chairman or head of army and so on. And what's nice is that um, each uh, function, uh, so each um, each chair, each board, board uh, let's say, of directors, um, they, they have a, a, a budget from the company uh, allocated and they can do whatever they wish with this budget. So here comes the tricky part, right? The negotiation where uh, everybody wants to have a larger slice of the pie. And then, okay, uh, let's say uh, I want to uh, to trade in this region, then I should allocate this amount of resources or yeah, money in this case uh, to this region or uh, make trade in that region and so on. And different players at the table have different interests in different regions. Uh, and of course, they will try to push you and push this uh, negotiation and try to be your friend, uh, your ally, right, for a short period of time. And then uh, they uh, either tax you or either uh, 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 break up the the alliance uh, with the first uh, at the first card that they have against you or something like this. So it's quite it's quite powerful. Uh, it can uh, not I, I wouldn't say like destroy friendships or so on, but it can put you in, in difficult key positions in which if you are also competitive as a as a personality, it uh, it can put you into uh, key position uh, yeah key positions where 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 you can find yourself needed to to negotiate like very harshly one with another. Uh, and also uh, from our experience or from our group, uh, in in my case, I, I, I'm lucky because I found a group which uh, enjoys negotiation, negotiation games and especially this game. And uh, But it's quite important for players to have played it before like several times mm -hmm. because it's quite heavy and you don't get the feeling of it. 
from the first couple of plays, like from first play or second play, you don't understand exactly what's happened barely at the end of the game. So and and also to get the rules straight, you need a couple of more plays. But as you played it for five or ten times, then it's smoother, and then the negotiation part you would know how to how to deal with it better, you know. Uh, but one uh, one uh, small um, uh, th- let's say uh, funny thing which happened was that in one game we were two against two negotiating about the company if the company should fail or not because the company has a budget and at the end of each turn when you make like this kind of income turn like games have during the income turn uh, they uh, the, you would uh, see the stand uh, the balance of the of the company so if the company owes money or if the company makes profit and if it makes profit then players will get this kind of dividends so it emulates a real company uh, you know that's also one aspect why I, why I like it it emulates quite good uh, a company and then uh, and in one of our games you know there were two players who wanted the company to fail because this is how they would win and the other two players wanted the company to succeed and then we were fighting and negotiating until the last coin to um, for for a region and at some point the the last the thing which happened we had to flip a card and the card decided that there are specific cards in the game and the card decided uh, the fate of the company and uh, at some point, the, the, the card was uh, saying that, okay, even if the company fails, you, you still uh, keep your uh, victory points and you still win the game. So even mm-hmm. the guys who wanted the company to fail, uh, the card trumped uh, their, their efforts, basically. So it's also tricky with this uh, with this card sometimes I, I don't know i mean the game is balanced but you know it's part of the it's part of the it's embedded in the design so you need to when when you when you uh, sit down and play it you need to be aware that this kind of things might happen so one card can trump over the game and uh, uh yeah turn it all over for you and you cannot do anything about it even if you tried until your last penny to to negotiate in your favor and so on. Yeah, I don't know if I was clear here, but uh, it's it's also a very large and complex game. But it's it's quite uh, also frustrating, but also it gives you this kind of adrenaline boost if you uh, if you succeed in negotiating and if you uh, win, uh, it's quite yeah, it's it's a specific feeling, you know. These games, these negotiation games, have specific feelings. Yeah. Well, thank you, George, for for sharing that. Talk. Have you played this one? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't. I'm really excited. Also a little bit scared. Um, <laughs> honest, yeah. I, yeah. I have a friend in my group who plays, who owns this, um, and he's the friend that often brings little trick-taking games that take like 15 minutes. But he also has this game that he says he's had some really good experiences with. Um, and he says there's even some push your luck in the game, which is a way to hook me into a game. I love, I love push your luck. So I, I think right. at some point I will try it. Right, right. You have a lot of uh, dice rolls. Mm-hmm. And uh, and a lot of pusher luck, yes, and yeah. Uh, yeah. and well, even you yeah. have you even you have some uh, prime minister uh, position, uh, in which c- can get b- b- bribed and so on. And uh, the uh, he needs to pass some laws, and b- people at the table will vote. And it's 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 a lot. It has a lot of stages, Thanks. but it it gives you a unique uh, experience, in my opinion, if you would try to play it once. Yeah. Well, thank you, George. That's uh, that's 
John Company second edition as George's number one. And that last thing you said is a good segue into my number one, which is The King's Dilemma, which George mentioned earlier a little bit. I've mentioned it in other videos because I love The King's Dilemma. And it is a game where you are essentially voting on things throughout the entire game. You're negotiating with other players to move these tokens on a push uh, on a, uh, a tug of war style track um, where you are incentivized to have certain tokens end up lower on the track and other tokens end up higher on the track. And the whole game, the whole entire game, and I couldn't find an example here probably because they're avoid avoiding spoilers, but the entire game is that uh, a card is revealed and on that card, there are two choices. Like it might say, do, uh, do you want to encourage the king in the king's dilemma? Do you want to encourage the king to... Uh, to raise taxes, or do you want him to leave things the same? And you'll go around the table and share what you want to happen, and you'll essentially try to bribe each other and convince each other to join one side over the other, and you'll cast votes. You have these, these vote-style currency to determine um, which, which option will be chosen on the card, and the option you choose will impact not just the rest of that game session, but also the rest of the entire campaign because it is a, a legacy-style campaign game. And so the entire game is just negotiating and uh, and voting on choices and trading and bribing and forming alliances about some motivations. Because I might share a motivation with you for the, like with that tax example, I might want the kingdom to make more money. Maybe that helps me, helps my, we have these little character maps that have different motivations. Maybe that's what my uh, my house in this kingdom really wants. Uh, and that's maybe what happens to be what 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 you want in that moment too but we might then have a different vote later on about a different topic where we're on very different pages we're not forming these alliances over the course of the game we're forming them for individual votes and i just i had a blast with it and it's actually i played this tonka with the same group that we tried oath with later and i think um we love king's dilemma so much and it is it's very different than oath uh that i think we were hoping for more king's dilemma in oath and that wasn't what we got and so we maybe even didn't give uh, Oath a fair a fair chance due to that, but fortunately, the King's Dilemma does have the sequel coming out. George mentioned it earlier. The King's the Queen's Dilemma is coming out, and so we're going to get to get back together with the same group and play that. And I'm sure we'll have a blast with it. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm, go ahead, I'm curious uh, for you, Jamie. How was your experience with King's Dilemma? Because you you designed Charterstone. And mm -hmm. uh, I remember that Ch Charterstone, when it came out, uh, this is when I also uh, learned about Stonemire for the first time. And uh, it's it's quite a nice design and very, I already am at my third play of Charterstone, let's say. But I'm curious, how, how, how was it for you when you played King's Dilemma, if you got reminded a bit of Charterstone? Because I saw the picture that you just posted now. Um, about King's Dilemma and I saw the little cards and the little yeah. with the writing and it's uh, also legacy style and I don't know how I was for you I, I, I mean in your mind did you criticize a bit the design or criticize it but in a good manner or in a good way like say okay this is how they did think about it and uh, I, I was thinking about this also or I don't know this kind of design challenges or Maybe a little bit. I mean, thematically, there are some some thematic connections here. Right, um, right. I'm not talking about negotiation because it's not right, right. Totally different. Yeah. So just the legacy and aspect and the, like because, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it certainly came to mind a little bit as I was playing it. Mm -hmm. But in general, I love legacy games. That's why I designed right. one. And so I like to see different types of legacy games. Really, the game that is really, really similar to Charterstone is The Rise of Queensdale. Um, mm -hmm. 
which yeah. also isn't a negotiation game, but it's, it has very similar aspects to Charterstone, executed in different ways, but very similar. Um, Tonka, have you played? Have you played uh, King's Dilemma? No, I, I haven't. But it's on our list, mm. I think. And all my friends played it and I liked it a lot. Uh, but maybe the reverse will happen. What happened to your group that uh, we are yeah, expecting? But... <laughs> we will. We'll see. Um, and Jamie, yeah. are you interested in exploring the negotiation mechanic further in your design? Um, I I am yes. Uh, these games, I love playing games with other people. Like that's why I, I play it for the social interactions, the things that we do at the table. And oftentimes that is just like engine building and me maybe admiring what someone else creates. But um, it is something that, that I would like to incorporate into our games more often, especially like that you the little mechanism in Euphoria where you where you're trying to build a market and it's. And it's tough for you to do that on your own. And so you turn to other players and you say, hey, can you help out with this? I really like that form of negotiation. And what we talked about with Catan and uh, I mentioned Sidereal Confluent, the idea where I, I, have, I have access to some resources that you don't have access to. That is something I'd really like to play around with in a game. Um, or like in yeah. Fox Mirror when you have the close economy with the money. Also. Exactly. Yeah. So it's something it, I would say it's difficult for me to design this type of thing as a designer, but that makes me excited. I like the challenge to try something that is outside of my wheelhouse. Yeah. Cool. Do you two have any? Uh, oh, you look for yeah, awesome. Do either of you have any uh, games that you either crowdfunded or pre-ordered that you're excited about in the future that have alliances, negotiation, or or player interaction like this that you are excited about? Uh, well, I think for me, Queen's Dilemma. I think, uh, yeah. I'm... Uh, for me, it's uh, it's arcs, uh, okay. and I don't know how much negotiation will be in there. It's a it's a three game campaign, I think, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm sure there will be kind of wonky mechanics in there. I, I don't know uh, how much of a negotiation game it is, but I'm looking forward to that to that one. Yeah, as I was doing also the list, you know, and the browsing, I saw that there are quite few games of negotiation in general and alliances and yeah. so on, this type of, there aren't so many on the market. Yeah. So yeah, I, I looked at that list too, um, Board Game Geek, and even uh, a lot of them, they were games where that it was listed in that category, but they didn't even really, I played those games and they didn't really feel like negotiation games. So it was good to yeah. think about. Exactly. I think they also stretched, stretched it a little bit. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you both. I really appreciate your time and sharing your insights on Cole Worley's games today and a few other games as well. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, uh, yeah. Jamie, appreciate it. Uh, thank yeah. you very much for having us. Yeah. It was a pleasure. Great. All right. Well, thank you both. And anyone watching this now uh, in, the, in the future, uh, let us know your favorite games with trading, negotiation, uh, player interactions of, the, of this style. We'd love to hear your thoughts in the comments. All right. Thanks. Thank you.